The European Parliament's first formal delegation to Taiwan concluded its three-day visit on Friday. At a parting press conference, the head of the delegation, Rafael Glukman, said the EU would consider establishing in Taiwan a hub to combat disinformation from authoritarian regimes. He also called for more cooperation and engagement between the EU and Taiwan, saying more international exchanges could make the Taiwan Strait more secure. And we were so happy to breathe the fresh air of democracy in this region. Taiwan is an example on how to fight foreign interference in a democratic manner. Friday was the last day in Taiwan for a delegation from the European Parliament's Special Committee on Foreign Interference and Disinformation. At its final press conference, the delegation recounted the meetings it had held with government agencies and NGOs to learn about Taiwan's fight against Chinese disinformation. The head of the delegation said the EU could explore creating an anti-disinformation hub in Taiwan. The EU is actually thinking now about uh, a hub on disinformation, and we, I think, all agree uh, that this hub should be Taiwan. We agree that it would be good to establish some kind of informal forum, what we call, you know, annual dialogue. The delegation was the first ever sent to Taiwan officially by the European Parliament, making the visit especially significant. The delegation was composed of seven MEPs from France, Lithuania, the Czech Republic, Austria, Greece and Italy, and all of them voiced support for Taiwan during their stay. They also said they were not afraid of any sanctions that may come from China because of the visit. Asked on whether the visit would feed cross-strait tensions, the head of the delegation said international exchanges with Taiwan were making the situation less dangerous. That the more you have interaction between uh, international community and Taiwan, the less dangerous the situation will be in the strait. I don't think that anybody of us is afraid about any form of sanction. More and more high-level uh, partnership with uh, the in cooperation with the EU. So once again, you are not alone in this boat, we are with you. The MEP said they looked forward to more frequent and deeper exchanges with Taiwan, saying that Taiwan was a key like-minded ally to Europe. They added that in the future, Taiwan and the EU would continue working together in a variety of fields. Several U.S. senators on Thursday introduced a bill calling for more military aid for Taiwan to defend itself against Chinese aggression. The Taiwan Deterrence Act calls for 2 billion U.S. dollars or about 56.2 billion NT from the foreign military financing program for Taiwan. Let's hear from U.S. officials. As our most significant pacing threat, uh, China's intent to one day take over Taiwan, either peacefully or through military means, has uh, the most serious impact on our economic security of this country and for the destabilization of uh, the global economy, for that matter. Um, so they are the pacing threat, and they are our number one threat that we have to pay attention to. The defense relationship with Taiwan is and has been guided by the Taiwan Relations Act. Uh, we will uphold our commitments under that act. We'll continue to support Taiwan's self-defense, uh, and we'll continue to oppose any unilateral actions uh, that seek to stay, change uh, the status quo. It is the second pro-Taiwan bill proposed in the U.S. Senate this week. On Tuesday, Senator Josh Hawley proposed the Armed Taiwan Act of 2021, calling for the establishment of a 
Taiwan Security Assistance Initiative. This bill will allow the U.S. to authorize three billion U.S. dollars, or about 83 and a half billion Taiwan dollars annually, to strengthen Taiwan's defenses and asymmetric warfare capabilities in a Chinese attack. The 13th round of vaccinations kicked off on Friday, with about one and a quarter million people scheduled for a shot over the next few days. This vaccine round is for people getting either the first or second dose of Pfizer or AstraZeneca, but no. Option to mix vaccine brands, with only about 50% of eligible people scheduled for a shot. Officials say some may be holding out for vaccine mixing that may open up in future vaccination. Also on Friday, a new batch of Pfizer vaccines touched down in Taiwan, containing about 870,000 doses. We're at a vaccination site on the first floor of Taipei City Hall, and Mayor Ko Wenjie is here for an inspection. The 13th round of vaccinations is offering first and second doses of both AstraZeneca and Pfizer. To facilitate rollout, Taipei has opened up six medium-sized vaccination sites around the city. Local and central governments are working together to get vaccines into arms. On Thursday, officials announced that only about 50% of eligible people had booked a shot in the 13th round of vaccinations. At a medium-sized vaccination site in Wanhua, only 140 appointments were made for Friday morning. That's just 35% of its maximum capacity of 400. We're mainly administering second shots of AstraZeneca. Some people might be holding out for vaccine mixing to open up for them. They might think, "Oh, vaccine mixing might become available in the next two rounds or the next round." Meanwhile, most people showed up for their appointments of Pfizer on Friday morning, with only three out of 40 people not turning up at the vaccination site. It was the first day that second doses of Pfizer started rolling out in Taiwan. I heard that young men were more likely to develop myocarditis, so I was a bit worried. But you still have to get the shot, right? You have to pick one. It's the only way to get protected. So I don't regret it. Taiwan's Pfizer inventory is gradually becoming more plentiful. On Friday morning, an 11th shipment of vaccines donated by three local civic organizations touched down in Taiwan. It contained about 871,700 doses. We have taken delivery of about 8,609,500 doses donated to us by private entities in Taiwan. This latest batch has an expiry date of March 3, 2022. We would again like to thank TSMC, Honghai, and the Yonglin Charity Foundation and the Tsuji Charity Foundation for helping us acquire vaccines to administer. More than 50% of the Pfizer vaccines ordered have already arrived in Taiwan, which is on track to hit 75% one-dose coverage and 60% two-dose coverage by the end of the year. National Taiwan University Hospital introduced a new system on Friday to administer COVID vaccines to people not registered on the government's vaccine platform. The hospital administered first shots of AstraZeneca on Friday and plans to administer second shots of Pfizer in the future. The CECC said it supported such an approach at other hospitals. Health Minister Chen Shizhong also announced the government was easing protocols to make more effective use of Taiwan's. Vaccine inventory. 
Previously, we had strict controls on inventory. Sometimes it would be that even people with appointments would turn up at the vaccination site and would have to wait until there were enough people to grant opening a vaccine vial and administering a set amount of doses. But now, as long as the recipient has a booking, a new vaccine vial can be opened, even if there's just one person there. We can open up a fresh vial and administer a vaccine immediately. Secondly, is the matter of all the vaccines that are left unused at the end of the day due to people not showing up to their vaccine appointments. Now, hospitals will be allowed to administer those vaccines. They can have lists of backups ready to notify for a shot. This approach will allow us to use the vaccines most effectively, administering as many as possible. Currently, shots of AstraZeneca and Moderna are available to anyone aged 18 and up, while Pfizer is available for people aged at least 12. People aged 20 and up can get a shot of the Taiwan-developed Medigen vaccine. All vaccines require two shots for full immunization, with recommended intervals ranging from three weeks to more than 12 weeks, depending on the brand. The Taiwan Railways Administration has introduced a new series of premium bentos in partnership with Japan's Seibu Group Railway. The lunchboxes feature such old cuisine recipes as sweet and salty roast duck and crispy pork chops. The TRA hopes the project will spur on customers to take the plunge and dine on the train once more. Handmills announced the official launch of the Taiwan-Japan United Railway Bento Box. The mushroom and vegetable dinner, the sweet and salty roast duck, and the giant crispy pork chop. These are the first bento produced by TRA in conjunction with Japan Seibu Group. Lots of customers arrived early to get in line. I always used to go traveling in Japan. Because no one's been able to go abroad for two years, I thought I'd get a taste of Japan from my lunchbox today. Since the pandemic rules ease, we can eat bentos on the train. This is so great because it's convenient. It's Japanese flavor, but made with all Taiwanese ingredients. Only pork with the CAS premium logo is used and drizzled with a special teriyaki sauce. Japanese representatives from the Seibu group agree it's a revolution in pork cutlets. The sweet and salty duck has many layers of fresh flavor to uncover. For now, each bento has a limited availability of just 25 at lunch and 25 at dinner, only on sale until November 14th. TRA is determined to ramp up the sales of its railway lunch boxes, now that eating on trains and in stations is allowed again. Since restrictions lifted on November 2nd, we're selling bento boxes on trains. And since you can also eat bento in stations, the TRA bento will come up from the back to win the race. We'll gradually lift those sales up. TRA says that with some pandemic rules gone, their bento sales already stand at 64% of this period last year. They are hoping that lifting the ban on eating on trains will be the impetus they need to get the bento firmly back in business. According to Taiwan's controller, consumer prices saw a year-on-year -year rise of 2.58% in October, the fastest rise in 14 years. 
Although overall the October rate was 0.04 percentage points lower than September, it remained just above the inflation safety margin of 2% for the third month in a row. Taiwan's controller said the main reason for the high rate was a 28.97% increase in fuel cost and rising prices for airline tickets, produce, meat and household items. Meanwhile, the consumer price index of 17 everyday commodities observed by the Executive Yuan's price stabilization team saw a year-on-year increase of 3.07 percent. That's slightly lower than September's 3.29 percent, but still a relatively high rate. Taiwan shares closed up above the 17,000-point mark on Friday, just days after the U.S. Fed announced it would start tapering asset purchases later in November. The Fed also announced it would not rule out raising key interest rates if needed over the coming two years. In Taiwan, central bank officials say Taiwan needs to be cautious in adjusting its interest rates in the future as rising, raising them prematurely could erode the purchasing power of everyday people. The Fed has said it will start reducing its monthly asset purchases later this month at a rate of 15 billion U.S. dollars per month. Though the announcement was expected to make ripples through the market, Wall Street closed at record highs for several days after the news. Over in Taiwan, it was gains across the board for large-cap tech stocks on Friday. TSMC picked up 13 NT to close at 600 NT. United Microelectronics bounced back to 60.4 NT. MediaTek and Honghai also strengthened over the day. Overall, Taiwan shares opened up and closed up at 17,296 points. The Fed's reduction of asset purchases will bring up the cost of leveraged investing. But companies are performing even better than expected this season, which is traditionally peak season. The effects of that have counteracted capital outflows prompted by the Fed's announcement. It seems that's the direction it's taking. With good earnings reports both in Taiwan and abroad, it remains to be seen whether the Fed's tapering will have an impact on markets. The Fed also announced that it would not hesitate to raise interest rates if required during the next two years. Although the Taiwan Central Bank left interest rates unchanged for the sixth consecutive quarter, some officials are reportedly calling for tighter monetary policies. Some officials say that since Taiwan is a small open economy, it is time to consider a potential rise of key interest rates in the future and assess the long-term effects of low interest rates on the economy. They say an adjustment should be considered at the appropriate time. If the inflation around the world remains unaddressed and we raise interest rates prematurely, that would make the upward trend of inflation more pronounced. The consequences perhaps would not directly manifest in the stock market or in the real estate market. The effects could be felt more by regular people who feel that money can't buy as much as it used to. Inflation is here and experts say it is not part of a seasonal trend. Analysts say the central bank should be cautious, saying that raising interest rates at this point could exacerbate the impact of inflation on everyday people, eroding their purchasing power. Photos of Hong Kong's political crisis and contentious railway schemes in Tainan have been singled out at a contest for top photojournalism. The Taiwan Press Photographer Association sought entries on the theme Age of Isolation. That prompted many reflections on life with COVID-19, as well as left-of-center entries. The best images can be seen in a public exhibition open until December 5th.
From high above, a yellow raincoat is seen lying on the ground. All around it, Hong Kong citizens bow to pay their respects to Leung Ling Kit, a social activist who died during the anti-extradition protests in 2019. It's also a symbol of the start of Hong Kong's international isolation. This image won the grand prize for media photography at the competition. Photojournalist Jeff Cheng was unable to collect his award in person due to Hong Kong's ongoing political crisis and the restrictions of the pandemic. But another prize-winning Hong Kong photographer, Chan Chuk Fai, is in Taiwan and made this statement. I'm a Hong Konger. I'm Chan Chuk Fai, Hong Kong journalist. I think this award is a great encouragement for Hong Kong journalists. It will bring Hong Kong photography further afield and raise awareness about Hong Kong's current situation. Age of isolation is a theme that lent itself easily to the troubled territory. With both political and medical crises to contend with, Hong Kong has seen its links with the world shrink dramatically since 2019, when the anti-extradition protests began. After a year of upheaval, the city was hit by COVID-19. The competition also notes major events in Taiwanese society. This image from within a ruined house documents the forced relocation of residents of Tainan to make way for a new rail line. These award-winning photos show people waltzing in masks, queuing at pharmacies or confronting empty shelves in supermarkets. The photo recorded the relocation of the Tainan Railway, a rather key moment. It recorded the emotions at the scene very precisely and had great symbolic depth. Everyone knows what the yellow raincoat in Hong Kong means. It's got such symbolic power. Those two photos really say a lot. Only 143 images were singled out for awards from over 2,200 entries, but every single photo was a labor of love for its creator. The exhibition is open throughout November. A village in Nanto County has changed its name back to its original indigenous style. Truku Village was renamed Hezo 72 years ago. In recent years, the Council of Indigenous Peoples has encouraged the rectification of original indigenous place names. The name change back to Truku is the most comprehensive in recent years, with roads, bridges and even a school all changing their names simultaneously. Children perform a traditional Cedic dance, cheered on by members of the tribe. It's a happy moment as the village returns to its former name. A plaque is unveiled by Council of Indigenous Peoples Minister Itchang Parad and Nanto County Commissioner Ling Mingzhen. It announces that Hezuo Village in Nanto's Renai Township will once more be known as Truku Village. Many tribal place names have a profound connection with our languages. When we recover the place names, we can recover our languages because you pronounce them with this word, Truku. Truku was an ancient village of the Cedic people long before it was renamed Hezuo. Two years ago, the village council voted to restore its original name. With full support from the Council of Indigenous Peoples, the township received a 4.6 million NT grant to restore the name. When Hezuo village is changed to Truku village, it lets members of the Cedic and Taroku tribes know that their origins are in this place. This is a very meaningful name change. The renaming will affect local roads, bridges, and even an elementary school. All will change to reflect the new name in the most comprehensive administrative name change to take place in Taiwan in recent years.
A series of traditional opera performances will be staged at the Taiwan Traditional Theatre Center from November 13th to December 19th. The shows will feature traditional puppet theatre, Peking opera, Hakka opera and Taiwanese opera, all with a modern twist. Formosa News reporter Stephanie Yang gives us a preview. Taiwanese opera, Hakka opera, and Peking opera actors perform together on stage. They are performing a work titled The Death Glances in the Last Five Seconds. It's a meditation on the meaning of life. This play was inspired by news on Taiwan society. I see lots of sudden deaths every day. Because of the pandemic, many people around us have suddenly passed away, and that's what fueled our desire to create this work. We wanted this work to have a healing effect. In this life, we will encounter many difficult things, but those things won't last for all of our lives. This piece is titled The Names of Taiwan Courtesan. It's about the life of Taiwanese courtesan Wang Xiangtan. The show uses words from her poetry, setting them to Nanguan music. This is a story of a woman. It's a story that spans generations, going from the early Republic of China period to the Japanese colonial era and then to the era of Manchukuo. It is not just the story of a woman, but also a story of the Taiwanese people. We wanted to experiment with the boundaries of this new era and explore the possibilities of Taiwanese theater. We spent a year doing field research to create this piece. The Taiwan Traditional Theatre Center will offer six performances in various styles, such as puppet opera, peking opera, Taiwanese opera, and haka opera. The performances combine elements from traditional opera and modern elements to give audience a new take on the art. We encourage innovation in cross-genre works, works that use traditional opera as a foundation, but go beyond tradition by way of their design, concept, or creativity. For example, one work incorporates real-time photography. It's very rare to see this element incorporated into the presentation of traditional opera. The performances will be staged at the Taiwan Traditional Theatre Center from November 13th till December 19th. For most of news, Stephanie Yang, Wang Hongyu in Taipei.